and welcome to a trade-packed episode of the Stadcast, where, I don't know, a couple days ago we were planning to make this one a baseball-focused podcast. We've had a lot of real interesting baseball moves, and we're going to talk about that, but top of the pot, I think we're going to touch on the uh, James Harden deal that just went down and kind of, I don't know, it took the NBA world by storm since we've been uh, seeing storm clouds gather for a while, but still, it was kind of crazy. Yeah, it's also crazy because we really haven't seen anything, any of the fallout on the court yet from any of these teams. Yeah, we're recording this just like a couple days after. I believe the Nets are playing tonight. I think the Rockets are playing tonight. Um, I think every player in the trade has to pass a physical before any of them can play or something along those lines. So I don't think we'll see any of them playing tonight. So by the time this pod gets posted, um, nothing should have changed. Except maybe, I don't know, Andre Drummond getting traded as well. But that's just like, it's sort of related to the trade, if not the actual trade. But yeah, we're going to get to talk about that. Then we're going to talk about the Blake Snell move, you Darvish move, the Francisco Lindor move, which huge move for the Mets. And even the Liam Hendricks move, which is the only signing really of this. And a lot of, a lot of trades, a lot of trade talk. Trades are so much more fun than signings, I got to say. Trades yeah, because there's more than one player involved. Yeah, so we're going to get to all of that, starting with James Harden trade, but first... Milo Hamilton. Swinging, lining it to left. It's gone! It's gone! It's gone! Chris Park! Holy Toledo! What a way to All right, so Sam, you have in front of you the entire list of what got traded in this uh, James Harden monstrosity involving four teams. So let's hear the terms and conditions. All right, the official terms and conditions. And the Oladipo part is still not um, been made official. The last I checked, um, I assume that it will. It can't be official until the first trade. Like everything works with that, I think, with yeah. physical and everything. Yeah, so the Nets received James Harden from Houston, a 2024 second round pick from Cleveland. Ooh, nice. Nice thing. Uh, nice cherry on top of that. Yeah, really. And Cleveland gets Jared Allen and Torian Prince, both from Brooklyn. Houston gets Victor Oladipo from Indiana, Dante Exum from Cleveland, Rodion's Karuks from Brooklyn. Brooklyn. What a throw in. And here, we, and here are all the picks that they get. They get Brooklyn's 2022, 2024, and 2026 unprotected first-round pick. Mm -hmm. They get pick swaps with Brooklyn 2021, 2023, 2025, and 2027. And they also got a 2022 first-round pick from Cleveland um, that, that is, in effect, Milwaukee's first-round pick in 2022. Right. And, and now it, Go ahead. Indiana got Karis LeVert from Houston, who Houston got him from Brooklyn, which was the first part of the trade. And Indiana also got a 2023 second round pick from Houston. That's right. So one thing that I think, before we even get into the Harden thing, is what's going on with all these pick swaps from Brooklyn? Because there's one, there's we're going to get into this in a little bit, but 
That 2021 pick swap with Houston and Brooklyn. So Oklahoma City is also sort of tied into this and an Oklahoma City-Miami pick that they have because of the Chris Paul trade. Sorry, the Russell Russell Westbrook for Chris Paul trade. And so among Oklahoma City, the Rockets, the Miami Heat, and Brooklyn, the top two picks of those four first-round picks both go to Oklahoma City unless it's a top, the Rockets pick is a top four pick, in which case the second and third best picks, or maybe the first and the third best picks, not the Rockets pick, would go to Oklahoma City. The Rockets get the third best pick, and the Nets get the fourth best pick. Miami gets nothing, but isn't that a little fun? It's fun, and it's like, I don't, I, I it's so much like, to work through it, it it's like my it's like man it's like my nfl predictions isn't it it's like man there's so many different scenarios that could happen and one one thing changing leads to the three other things changing exactly but yeah so how about we get into though the thing that's kind of driving all the talk yeah james harden just got traded so james harden little timeline here so before the season starts i think on the pod that we were while we're recording the season preview, I have them as six in the West, which I cannot imagine that's where they're going to end up. Just like pretend I said Phoenix Suns there, and then it'll all be good. Um, so James Harden decides, you know what? I don't really care about reporting to camp. He goes to little baby's birthday party and gives him a hundred thousand dollars in a bag. He uh, goes to see his uh, good friend at her place that she opened up, and she's doing a good job. Then there also happened to be strippers there, which I mean, like... It wasn't a strip club. It was just a club with strippers. Exactly. That's a major difference. Every strip club is a club with strippers, but not every club with strippers is a strip club. Makes you think. Anyway, so Harden decides he's not going to report to camp because of possible COVID exposure. In the meantime, a couple other Rockets, just like they all have this hair... I think one of the cases is like... They're having these these haircuts at an apartment. Ben McLemore has COVID and is, exposes John Wall and DeMarcus Cousins. And then in a different situation, I think KJ Martin was uh, got COVID, and then another of the rookies, Mason Jones, was exposed to him. Then them end up testing positive outside of the original positive tests. But the Rockets are sort of in disarray to start their first game. But James, so the first game gets postponed. James Harden actually plays in their second game, the first real game, the technically was supposed to be their second game does pretty well. Harden starts off the season averaging 37 points a game through the first three games. And then if you've been watching the Rockets the last few games, he just falls off of a cliff. He's not trying at all. It's like he tried during the first few games just to show what he could do. And then was like, you know what? Hmm, we're one and two right now. I think we're screwed. I, I got to give up on the season right now. Just defers everything, goes to stand in the corner, goes to stand behind in the back court. There was this one time where he wanted a foul and just like, stayed on the other end of the court i don't know like maybe sitting down underneath the other team like underneath their basket for like 10 seconds before actually going to you know play defense average like 16 points a game he can't shoot very well his assists they're all right i mean he still is playing a decent game with christian wood but he's turning over the ball a ton and then we have a press conference the night before he gets traded where james harden basically says i've done literally everything i can uh, this team is just not fixable. Uh, I've given, I've given all I can. And so I don't really want to be here anymore. And all right, James Harden out. And that's where, that's where we came to. And James Harden was, here's the thing. He's not necessarily wrong. I mean, Houston's not going to win a championship with him. That's true. That's true. I mean, he's, but the thing is he shouldn't have said that to the media. You should have said that to the, um, front office and the owners saying, 
he should have just said, yeah, this team's unfixable. Just trade me. Maybe he did and nothing is happening. So he's like, all right, I'm just going to say it to the media. And maybe, you know, that'll accelerate the process, which it did. Um, but we there were some quotes from DeMarcus Cousins, who's always, always good uh, for some, you know, words. Um, and he basically said, like, it's not a problem with us. It's a problem with him. Yeah, was he's showing up, not trying. Yeah. John Wall said that everyone bought in about him. Eric Gordon today said that um, it was clearly like, I don't know if he said the words, it was clearly a James problem, but it's basically what he was implying. And so now James Harden is out of here. And so what? how are you, what are you thinking about James Harden's legacy in Houston over the eight years and maybe two months, three months that he's been there? Um, Personally, I think he should be remembered well, honestly, yeah. because... He truly did basically do all he could minus play defense, but defense uh, isn't his game. Yeah. Um, got them within a win of the NBA Finals, um, ran into buzz saws, was just never a top team in the West as much as he tried. Except when they and were the team. number one seed in the West. But that was the year they almost made the finals. Well, no, yeah, I'm saying like they weren't the best team. I don't know. As a, it's just, yeah. yeah, go ahead. As a Rockets fan, it kind of hurts. Because I remember when Harden gets traded, and he's morphed into an entirely different player than he was when he got traded here. I mean, like Karis LeVert is right now. If Karis LeVert was like a little bit younger, and that's basically what like imagine if Karis LeVert in Indiana right now just turned into this unstoppable scoring machine who's going to end up being the one of the best forty players of all time. That's what James Harden basically did, except also he was on a team that had nearly made the NBA Finals the year before. And the also, he got picked is, ninth, didn't he? What? He got picked ninth, didn't he? He was picked third. People thought Harden he was, was an overdraft. Third. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Harden was, was picked, picked third. Yeah. Steph Curry draft. It was Harden three. Um, I don't remember who was four. I know five and six were Ricky Rubio and Johnny Flynn, and then seven was Steph. Yeah, and then it was Curry. Yeah. Yeah. Number four, and that was Hashim Tabit. Number two, Blake Griffin. Number one. Number four escapes me right now, but oh well. Uh, I think Jan, Ve- Jan Vesely was the next year. Maybe. I don't know. Wiz, I think he was a third overall. But anyway, um, the James Harden has not gotten back to the final since. James Harden has gotten very close. He's been clearly Wait, the best guy. That? What year draft was that? It was 2009. Oh, no, wasn't Westbrook? No, four? This was an eight or, I think it was 2009. Westbrook was the year before. Right, that's Westbrook, right. Okay. Westbrook was he was drafted by the Sonics, yeah. Yeah, no, Westbrook was the first year that uh, they were the Sonics. They were the Thunder. Yeah, no, he was his draft picture is him in a Sonics, Supersonics hat. Exactly. And then they never played another game in Seattle after that. So James Harden, as much as he was the only guy doing stuff a lot of times in the playoffs, there were so many times when he completely fell short. There were so many times when he couldn't do everything himself and then he kind of stopped trying. Like the game six against Golden State. On their home, but on their home court, when KD was missing, he just couldn't do anything. But also the year before that, also on their home court, when they went over twenty seven, they were missing Chris Paul, and it's just and then the also Josh the, Smith the and Corey Brewer yeah, game. Yeah, the Clippers come back. He was on the bench yeah. the whole time. He's on the bench. I mean, you, it's his usual time that he was resting, but he like had a towel over his head. He seemed to have checked out. The, they were down three to two in the series. You weren't really expecting them to come back. No one really talks about it, but he was terrific in the closing game against the Clippers. But also like he has another history of, I don't know, the man you block on Harden or like the time when their first time that they played the Warriors in 
the conference finals, Harden basically like 13 just, turnovers in the game. Yeah, like 11 points, 11 turnovers, something in the last game or something nuts like that. He was like losing the ball as soon as he crossed over half court, which is not a great look. It's such an up and down time during the playoffs, but also during the regular season, he was always one of the best players in basketball. There was almost never a single ounce of drama. The only drama that really happened or was when he pushed for Chris Paul to be traded because he didn't want to be the, him to be there anymore and he wanted his good buddy Russell Westbrook and that was the beginning of the end yeah and then Russell Westbrook figured out it's not I don't really want to be here yeah but just thinking about like what happened in that Russell Westbrook for Chris Paul trade the Rockets gave up four picks um uh, I think it was a two picks and two pick swaps uh I think it was a 20 I know that they basically got it got it back well, I think it was 2021, 2025, I could be wrong, pick swaps, and 2022 and 2026 first-round picks that went to Oklahoma City. And so once that happened, that marked, it was, I guess, really like Tillman Fertitta coming in is what marked the beginning, Less Alexander selling the team, and this guy who just like saying, shut up and listen, which is literally the name of his book, which I guess I still cannot believe that. He comes to the team, he says he's this super rich guy, he paid all in cash to the team. He didn't take out any loans. And then he turns around and is like, oh, wait, all my businesses are failing and I refuse to pay the luxury tax. And Daryl Morey had to do it by the skin of his teeth every year to not have to pay the luxury tax. Oh, oh, wait, I didn't notice, but the Rockets aren't going to have to pay the luxury tax this year because this trade put them under the luxury tax by about $1.8 million. So Fertitta comes in. The Rockets' culture is revolving around hard and doing whatever he wants. Chris Paul gets traded for this thing that's clearly going to gut the Rockets in the future. And it's all depending on if Russell Westbrook works. And we know that Daryl Morey, the Rockets' former general manager, was not exactly a big fan of how inefficient Russell Westbrook was, as much as he might be like, oh, yeah, well, he finishes really good at the rim, and he gets a lot of assists. He knew that Russ was going to be bad for that team, and so I think he was already planning his exit by then. And now look at it. Daryl Morey's gone. Mike D'Antoni is gone. Russell Westbrook is gone. James Harden is gone. Tillman Fertitta is still there. And John Wall and, I guess, Victor Oladipo are the only remnants. And Rodian's Karuch and Dante Exum are the only remnants of what had once been there. The yeah, Rockets, they all they have, have no future. Their, their future is, like, lashed to the fates of other teams. And so there's nothing they can do about it. That's what happened to the Celtics, and it turned out pretty pretty all right for them. Yeah. We should, talk, we should probably talk about that, right? The fact that the Nets are, this is basically... Once again, they're not going to have their own first-round pick for, I think... For seven uh, years. Yeah. Through 2027. So basically through then, there was just like uh, three unprotected first, you said, and four pick swaps. And those alternate by year. Unprotected! They did it again. Yeah. In Man, the Celtics, they're Scott really betting them on themselves. Well, they're, really, they're really betting on themselves. <laughs> the thing is, I think all three of those contracts that they have for Kyrie, KD... We're not even talking about Kyrie and that whole debacle yet, but Kyrie, KD, and James Harden, the contracts all end in the same year. So it's quite possible that the Rockets are going to have four straight years where the Nets could be very bad and are just giving them unprotected picks. But it's also possible that that doesn't happen. We shall see as far as that goes. I don't know. I feel like Indiana somehow emerged from this as as one of the better teams in the trade. Yeah. I wouldn't. I would say that Victor Oladipo is a little better than Karis LeVert. That's I honestly, I wouldn't. I hundred percent wouldn't. Oh, I know, because you're a uh, Karis LeVert hype. Not even that. We can talk about not even basketball that. later. Not even that. He's just like younger and better. Maybe not better, but he's younger and actually might want to be there. 
Levert's a little more inefficient, and I prefer Oladipo's defense. And Oladipo, for the amount of pages I've been watching this season, he has looked better this year than he has in years past. And so the only issue is that he's uh, he's in a contract year, which maybe Tillman Fertitta doesn't want to pay the luxury tax to sign him to a long-term extension. So this might just be literally just getting a guy who you don't have to pay after this year, and then you had a team built around John Wall and Demarcus Cousins, I guess. But yeah. Oh, yeah. man, Chris Wood. He's been great for the fantasy team, as I as I expected. Yeah, Pacers and Cavs, just like these random um, Rust Belt East Coast teams, just like by attaching themselves to two franchises who are themselves just like these behemoths, or I guess the Rockets are no longer one, just attaching themselves to that, they're in great shape. The Pacers lose Victor Oladipo, who was already a headache for them, and Levert is signed to a longer deal, and Malcolm Brogdon is, looks better than him anyway, right? is shooting like an, at an unconscionable rate. So Pacers look good. The Cavs have too many centers. The Cavs have so many big men. Yeah, they have Allen, Drummond. Love. Uh, Kevin Love. Larry Nance Jr. Um, Who did they draft? Okoro. They dressed Okoro. He's not Okoro. a center. I mean, Okoro is a small forward. But that's, and they also have Sexland, of course, in that backcourt. So that's just a I've never heard that, really. I've Sexland? You haven't heard that. of Sexland? Oh, I haven't heard that. Oh, I'm, I'm big on here. sex land. What? I'm big on sex land, like as like those players. Yeah. I mean, last year I did not like what I saw. This year I'm a little more willing to look at it, but I'm still not sure if I trust Darius Garland. Give me give me a little bit more time on that to see, to see just how well he can really perform. Because I don't know if I trust the defense, but Sexton is looking good. Sexton is looking like Darren, like, Darren Fox kind of was, but maybe not quite, not quite going to be as good, but maybe like Fox was looking like a couple of years ago, like Fox's rookie year is how Sexton looks now almost. I like what I see from him. I think he's going to be good in time. Okoro, we never got to re-record the um, MVP and rookie of the year and all that kind of talk that we talked about um, in the preview pod, because that just got garbled by the sheer amount of like times that my Wi-Fi went out. But I picked Okoro for Rookie of the you Year. You guys probably don't know what that happened because, you know, it was edited so pristinely, of course. Oh, I, of course, of course. But I picked Isaac Okoro for Rookie of the Year. I don't know if he's going to be Rookie of the Year. I think Tyrese Halliburton and LaMelo Ball are probably the most likely picks for that. I can't but believe people slept on LaMelo Ball. What? In my fantasy league and, like, all my friends hated LaMelo Ball. And now they love him? No, I don't. I, I, think, that, I think they just don't want to talk about him. Yeah, I mean— He's actually kind of helping them win. Tyrese Halliburton is the guy who I think should be rookie of the year. I don't think he's going to be because LaMelo, just like if he keeps doing that, then obviously that's great. But Okoro is playing like 35, 36 minutes a game. He's playing great defense. Great defense does not usually win you rookie of the year votes, which is a shame. But he's contributing more to his team's winning than anyone outside of maybe Halliburton. But Halliburton looks terrific. I mean, like we were all right to be high on him before, uh, pre-draft because he looks like, you know what he reminds me of? It's a little bit if, if like way back when Rondo was was a, a better shooter and not nearly as much of a head kick. That's what Halliburton looks like already in his first season. And I think that's going to be a that's a very high ceiling level player and high think, floor as well. I think head case isn't the right word. I think ego is the better word for Rondo. Yeah. Tyrese Halliburton is going to be trying and every single night, not just the ones that he uh, knows he's going to be on national television. Because, I mean, <laughs> you're not getting a lot of kings on national television. Yeah. yeah. I like what you've seen. But, but, yeah, how about we talk about the team that actually, you know, um, did got the best player in this trade, and I would probably say won this trade. That's the Brooklyn Nets. They didn't win this trade. The Nets didn't come close to winning this trade. 
Really? Who won this trade then? What? Uh, either Houston or Indiana. The amount of picks that Houston has. Yeah. How many? But how many of them are going to mean something? We know that Joe Tsai is richer than first round pick. You literally have seven first round picks. What? You literally have seven first extra first round picks. It's true. They're going to be missing on that, especially since you know there's a huge lack of flexibility. But you're not missing on them exactly. The Nets are most likely going to get to use their own first round pick this year. First of all. I mean, unless Miami f- finishes with a better record than them, the Nets are getting their own first-round pick this year, which, I mean, is kind of what they were hoping for. And then same in, in three of those years because they're just pick swaps. The issues are 25 and 27 when you lose those pick swaps that are unprotected because maybe the Rockets are a little better then. Maybe they are, maybe they're not. But I don't think I would call the Nets losers. I would say the Nets who, like, they might have just lost. We don't even know how long they're losing Kyrie Irving. Like, Kyrie Irving leaving for personal reasons and then, like, showing up at a birthday party, showing up on, like, I think some, like, Zoom for wanting some congresswoman or some mayor candidate in New York City, something like that. I don't even know what was going on. Maybe it was some fundraiser or whatever, but Kyrie Irving seemed to be there. Not sure why or how. I guess that means he's still in New York, at least. Maybe, perhaps. Is he just close to get to retiring? I honestly feel like that's what... I, I felt like what was going to come out of this was either Kyrie was going to get was going to get traded or he was going to retire. Yeah, like the fact that Stephen A. Smith, Stephen A. Smith of all people, like saying, I think Kyrie Irving might retire, at first seemed like very clickbaited. But then like watching it and recognizing the fact that like Stephen A. Smith is kind of a little plugged in. I don't know if this being plugged in is what's making him think it, but the fact that so many people are talking about it and they're like, I don't think they spoke it into existence. I think this is the kind of thing that must have been floated by Kyrie's camp. It must have been like, yeah, I don't know if how much Kyrie wants to play basketball anymore. I don't know if the Harden move is the kind of thing that like motivates him to come back. I don't know if the Harden thing is what makes the Nets like, oh, now we don't really need Kyrie Irving so because we, we can just play with James Harden. But if you're that, then I don't even know if you have like five players to put in a basketball court at the same time, which is a little nerve- nerve-wracking for the Nets. But nevertheless, like, yeah, the Kyrie Irving situation is a whole nother mess that I doubt we've seen the beginning of or seen anywhere near the end of. And if we have seen the end of it, if this guy just comes back like by the end of next week, then I don't really know what was going on, other than the fact that like he just wanted to go home for a little bit. He could still uh, opt I... out of the season, right? Hmm? He could still opt out of the season, right? Can you do that? I mean, that? he could always opt out of the season. Yeah. <laughs> he could just decide not to play. I mean, like specifically because it's a COVID year. Uh, I don't know if he gets paid or not. I don't really. I, I don't he... think he gets one, paid, one... but he could opt out. Uh, just, he's such a head. I just don't know what's. Yeah. But but let's say Kyrie Irving by like Sunday has reported to Nets camp, all right? And James Harden is there and everybody's like excited about that. Somehow Kyrie Irving's got his head straight or at least as straight as it might be. What do you make of the Nets and their championship odds and how well they're going to do this season? What do you think of their offense? Anything you got on that, just throw it at me. Uh I don't I still think that Kyrie is just not going to like he's he's very not good at staying uh, committed for a whole season yeah. uh so i think it'll be like the beginning of the season this year where it's like wow the first few games man Kyrie and kevin durant are so good together and then like he gets injured somehow or a minor injury it gets a setback or just steps away from the team for no reason uh i just that's it's three huge e- egos three huge different egos on that team and I still don't know how over a full season they're going to, you know, 
keep them in check because on their own they would combine to score like 80 points a game but i don't see that happening yeah and so the fact that kyrie irving is not here that's an issue but is it also an issue when he is on the floor and those three are on the floor because i mean if you're the nets i don't know how you play this just just thinking about it as far as um i don't know playing it wise because we saw what kevin durant could do on the warriors right as far as defense goes yeah he was great we've seen a little bit of what james harden can do on defense it's quite possible we've seen that all that James Harden can do on defense, and so that does not exactly make me very um, feel very good about the situation. And I think we've definitely seen all that Kyrie Irving can do on defense, which is, again, like James Harden, it's not that much. So DeAndre Jordan got benched the other night, and now he's our starting center. Joe Harris is um, a guy who can shoot the basketball. That's about all he does. And I think, like, Timothy Luo Cabrero and... Uh, Luo Cabrero, Brown. yeah. Luau TLC and Bruce Brown are their like sixth and seventh best players right now. They have Jeff Green and Tyler Johnson, I remember. Oh yeah, Jeff Green and Tyler Johnson. Those are those are names. Those are real people. I know Jeff Green, obviously, but like this team is kind of in trouble on defensive end. Are they like I saw a stat somewhere that said that the Nets are 0-5 in all games where they haven't scored at least 120 points. Yeah, that makes that makes sense. <laughs> And so this is a Nets team that's going to need to score 130 while it's giving up 125, and it's going to be going to really hope that's not giving up 135 because I, even with an all a locked in James Harden, I don't even know how you like play this kind of thing. Like, do you stagger the minutes? Do you have situations? I know uh, when the Warriors had a very, relatively similar situation, except you know, the Clay Thompson is a much better defender than Kyrie Irving is. Uh, what they did a lot of the time is they made sure to pair. Steph and Clay together usually, and then have KD sort of run the offense on his own. KD is like I think he scored forty two the other night. He clearly can run the offense on his own. He's clearly enough of an offensive threat to like make this team like a possible title. Can but with like are Harden and Kyrie going to be on the floor at the same time? Is it going to be like Kyrie Harden and KD all doing their thing together? It's going to be like a terrific offensive thing because you got a lot of guys who like you can't guard all of them. And so at least one of them is going to be open at all times, but also like, are we going to see KD or sorry, or Kyrie and or Harden, like making the cuts like they're supposed to, because Harden started doing that in Steven Silas's offense for the first few games. And then he got tired of running sets and would just like go stand in the corner instead of driving or uh, moving from one place to the other, like Steph loves doing. And now that he's back with Mike D'Antoni as his coach, and those the, are those same bad habits going to just like jump into focus again? Wait, what? Mike D'Antoni? What? Mike D'Antoni's their assistant coach. Yeah. Oh, I thought you. Okay, no, I thought you. Sorry. Like, yeah, Steve Nash is clear that is their head coach, but I think Mike D'Antoni is like running the offense basically. Because I also, I also just a side note, I think Steve Nash is also kind of fed up with Kyrie. Yeah. I th- he had like a quote that was like, "Yeah, we don't know where he is." Exactly. Like, basically. I mean, Steve Nash should know where. Like, I mean, his one of his main players is Kyrie Irving, who. During the offseason said, what was it he said about uh, coaching? It was like, I think we all coach or something like that. Or we're all uh, going to be the coach. I have no clue. He was, it's, it's like, he was asking about Steve Nash as a new coach. And he's like, yeah, Steve is a coach. Yeah, Steve Nash is a coach. Is I'm the coach. Time I've had a teammate that, that I look at and say, wow, he can make that shot too. <laughs> but I, I don't know what we're going to see. If it's just Harden and KD, then I mean... That's great you, that you re that you put together the two actually really good players from OKC. Sorry, Russell Westbrook, and and did something with that. But I mean, are you going to stagger those guys the way that like Harden and the CP did? It's the offense is going to fit 
probably, and it's going to work well, probably. But when I'm talking about like this kind of staggering thing, my question is more on the end of what the hell are they going to do on defense? Because DeAndre Jordan is not going to be able to go up against guys like Joel Embiid, uh, guys like Giannis. KD is, <laughs> might be having, might have to do that, and so they're going to get scored on a bunch like that. If KD is like your main perimeter defender, what's going to happen when you have like guys like Damian Litter and CJ McCollum just like running all sorts of sets against them? You think Harden is going to be super? You, you brought up a very bad example. They what? can't play defense. You brought up a very bad example because they can't play defense either. Oh, I know. Like games like it's not like that. I think they're going to lose those games. It's because they have just that sheer amount of talent, and so they're going to make teams just like in this deep, deep hole early, mm-hmm. and make it like make them press more, make them uh, try harder. And sort of like make a lot more mistakes, but at the same time, like, uh, and also they're going to be great, th- a great threat, you know, if um, they go down early and they can just shoot their way back. But you got to defend at some point. And in the playoffs, I think this is going to be absolutely exposed. Like a team like the Celtics, while it's not, I don't know, the most talented team in the entire NBA, having guys like Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown who are actually able to defend. James uh, James Harden, Kevin Durant, maybe not one-on-one like perfectly, but at least well enough. That's going to be a kind of team that causes a huge amount of trouble for... I don't like you putting all of that on our shoulders. What? I don't like you putting all of that expectation on our shoulders. I'm not putting all that on your shoulders. I think that Drew Holiday is going to work hard as a Harden stopper. And well, no one in the NBA is really like a Harden stopper. That the team like the Milwaukee Bucks are also going to be the kind of team that can beat him. I'm And the Philadelphia 76ers also look like the kind of team... That when they're on, like Joel Embiid is just gonna be just. I wonder if like, the Nets game, if, if the Nets and Bucks face each other in a playoff series, do you think Harden and Giannis would cancel each other out? I don't think that the Nets have anything that they can do to stop Giannis. There's nothing they can do. That's KD, true. They also they, yeah. There's no way that yeah. There's nobody that's gonna defend him. Yeah, KD is their only choice. And like, I mean, it's not gonna be fun having Giannis guard KD on the other end. It's gonna make it tough for you. But he's a twig. He's gonna get bullied so yeah, hard. Yeah, like I mean, if you're Giannis, you just gotta keep pushing and pushing and pushing. And it's a playoff, so they're probably not gonna call it that much. And Harden's gonna like what buck his uh, beard back, looking for the call from Drew Holiday. I don't know if he's gonna get it because people don't like calling uh fouls on Drew Holiday. It's like the. I want to see. I want to see a series between them and the Raptors because a, a James Harden versus Kyle Lowry flop off would be impeccable TV. That might be like a first round rap- matchup if the Raptors even make the playoffs. But I don't know. I was right about the Raptors at least to some degree. Um, but yeah, the thing about uh, defenders: the better reputation you have as a defender, the more you can get away with doing, which I kind of love. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, I don't know if I like it. Like if Drew Holiday and Joe Harris are doing the same move on some guy while they're defending them, you know Joe Harris is going to get called for it. Well, Drew Holiday is much less likely. I'm trying to think if I actually like agree with that. It's it's a, it's the same don't. way that like the best offensive players are the are more likely yeah, to get fouled. What? Here's what here's what I think it, it works for. It works for offense and it works for like complaining. The complainers get, who are known for complaining, I don't know. I honestly don't know which way it goes. Do you think that the players who complain more have more of a leash or less of a leash i think they have more of a leash like you think draymond and boogie have more of a leash i don't know if anyone listens to boogie so i guess that is true maybe it is more of the star I, maybe it is the star power the the better i guess the better of a star you are the more chance you have to complain and also the more likely a team is going to try to do some dirty moves to try to stop you like all uh, lebron getting LeBron's, hacked a bunch. Uh, lebron is not a complainer when or, it comes to or like Giannis getting totally hacked or Dwight way back in the day just getting just demolished or Shaq too 
like the big guys. Oh yeah, James Harden last couple games as a Rocket, all he was looking for was uh, the foul call, and he wasn't getting it. He was mad. I, yeah, maybe that's the reason he wanted. He definitely to had a pregame meal, so he didn't really want to like keep running. Yeah, that's true. James Harden again. Yeah, also didn't show up at the camp in shape. Just showed up to camp totally out of shape. Like he didn't even realize that the season was gonna start. I mean. With the exit that the Rockets had, I think he had a lot of time to prepare for the upcoming season. Sorry, James Harden, but I mean, that's kind of on you. He was the guy who pushed for Russell Westbrook. And that brings me to my, like, serious question. So, it's been, God knows, it's yeah, it's been a little over eight years since the trade. Since the Harden trade. And during that time, the Rockets have appeared in the Western Conference Finals twice. And the... Oklahoma City have appeared in them, I believe, just was it just the once or was it twice? Because I think Westbrook and Katie each like got hurt in like every other season. It seemed like I think it was at le- I think it was at least twice. Okay, because there was obviously the year they played the Warriors. Did they play the Spurs in? Any yes, I'm almost sure that they played the Spurs in 2014. And they might have played the Grizzlies. Grizzlies in the West in the Western Conference Finals. I think the Western the Grizzlies were in the Western Conference Finals one year. I remember it. Yeah. But that might have been like um, before the Harden trade. I don't quite remember. No, it was like it was like 14, 2014. 2014. Uh, and that was Spurs Grizzlies or it was still, okay. So Thunder versus Spurs in twenty fourteen. Okay, maybe twenty thirteen was the Grizzlies. Maybe it was twenty twelve. I don't quite. Remember. But anyway, so the Thunder made it twice since the Harden trade. The Rockets also made it twice since the Harden trade. The Rockets, I believe, won more games in the more regular season games than anybody in the NBA over that time, except the Spurs. I think that's right. Um, and the Thunder lost, first of all, they lost, uh, Kevin Durant and then they lost Russell Westbrook. The Thunder got two MVPs. The Rockets had one MVP. And now the Thunder seem to have the better picks looking forward. The Thunder seem to have the better future. The Thunder have Poku. The Rockets don't have Poku. The Rockets have <laughs> Christian Wood and the Thunder don't have Christian Wood. So, I mean, those maybe cancel each other out, but SGA is a terrific young player. And the stuff that happened in the Harden trade kind of led directly to what we see today right like if they don't keep rust and harden doesn't go to okc then they to houston rather then they don't end up getting that opportunity to trade russell westbrook for chris paul later on when harden gets all pissy about uh having chris paul on his i mean if you're asking about who won the original kevin martin trade (laughs) then i think it's obvious who won that trade but right now eight years later who won that trade? I, I can't honestly. That's a those are two different questions though. Yes, yes, it was a better trade for the Rockets. And yeah, they won that thing. Yeah, there was a lot of stuff that they could have done, a lot of different like sliding doors kind of ways that it could have gone. But right now the Thunder are in better shape than the Rockets because of the Harden. And that's well, bonkers to that, me. Sam Presti and his eight year plan. Yeah, I a hundred percent agree that like, yes, the Thunder are right now in a better spot. They have either the same or better picks than Houston and they have SGA and Poku and the rock of Christian Wood and maybe Victor Oladipo for one year. And Mason Jones. Keep your eye on Mason Jones. And John Wall's not not really Yeah. So right now the Thunder in better shape. Like who was more successful over that time period? Over that time period, who was more successful? Uh, the Rockets, but not thunder. by that much. No, right? I no, it's the Thunder. No, the Rockets are more successful. The, the Rockets were the more were. Oh, actually, if you want to get really technical about it, both of those teams blew a three-two lead to the Warriors. The Thunder just also blew a three-one lead. The, all right, 
this is this is just a hot take. I don't know how much I believe it, but I thought about it a little bit, and it seems like it's a it almost makes too much sense, right? Well, hold on, because like the Clippers Thunder trade also helped the, the Thunder a lot. Right. That clip they don't have SGA without that. And like that's the way that they, you know, get rid of Paul George. That's the reason they're able to trade Russell Westbrook in the first place and are able to even like get the amount of, I don't know, people get people to be like on board with trading Russell Westbrook in the first place. Cause yeah, it sucks to trade Russ, but like look at all these picks. And Man, the, he's gone, the, we're not gonna compete. We don't want to have Russ on a non competitive team and he's currently on the Washington Wizards. I'm pretty sure either it was either the the Kawhi, Paul George, or Russell Westbrook Woj bomb. It was at like 2 a.m. That was the Kawhi bomb. It was Kawhi and PG. Yeah. That oh, wait, that broke the internet. Absolutely. That whole summer broke the internet. Yeah. Internet uh, could use a little more breaking these days. Gotta say. I don't know if James Harden broke the internet. People were just like, oh, well, that happened. Kawhi was all this buildup. He didn't know where he was going to go. He kind of knew where Harden was going to go. It's not like he really was going to go anywhere besides the Nets. I don't Do you think... think- Rockets could have gotten a better package from the Sixers. Ben Simmons never would have fit on this Rockets team. Yeah, but here's here's what I was like considering: Ben Simmons or Kyrie Irving for this Rockets team. No, like, well, okay. How about both for this Rockets team and for a trade? If we're talking about on-court production, like including injuries, the whole package. Whole package. And by taking uh, Kyrie's uh, off-court shenanigans, head cases versus Ben Simmons' inability to shoot a three-pointer? Full package. That's a hard question. I got to tell you. Ben Simmons will be on the court a lot more than Kyrie Irving will be on the court. Right. I mean, you'd think that, but Ben Simmons, like, is secretly kind of injury I mean, uh, he's been missing games this year, last year. But he's also a little better. for quote-unquote the right reasons. Not like Kyrie's uh, bonkers reasons, but I he's think I'd rather have Simmons just because he's younger. I think it's a no-brainer. I think you would take Simmons every single day. The reason I hesitate is because the wrong team is terrible for Ben Simmons. You know what almost would have been terrific? If this like a three-way trade where Ben Simmons goes to the Nuggets, MPJ and Picks go to the Rockets, and Harden goes to the Sixers. That's the kind of thing which I would have liked a lot more because Ben Simmons fits well within that Nuggets team, because there's a lot of hard-nosed defenders on that team. Jokic and Ben Simmons doing all that passing work is terrific, and Jamal Murray, maybe, like, with the ball in his hands less, has more of a chance to do some scoring, because Jamal Murray is slumping this year, big time. That's the kind of trade which I would have liked a lot more for all the teams involved. It isn't just, like, as much of a mess as the one that we're having right now, and, like, really, like, is intriguing for all of those teams that we're looking at. Or maybe, like, if Jamal Murray goes to Houston... Instead of MPJ, because like Jamal Murray with like his his value is kind of low right now. Maybe the Rockets throw in a pick. Maybe Philly throws in a pick. I don't really know in this kind of scenario. But I don't think I don't think the Nuggets are looking to shake up the roster right now at all. Yeah, MPJ is more likely. But like, yeah, MP like I love the like a a first like a your three best players being Jamal Murray, Nikola Jokic, and uh, Ben Simmons. We think that's a weird fit, kind of. I don't know if none of them are. MVPs. Jokic. Jokic like, should be the MVP that? this year. Jokic should but, absolutely be the MVP this year. I think LeBron is his only competition. Yeah, Doncic for MVP is not looking solid though right now. Well, Doncic like James Harden didn't show up in shape. Yeah, you know what? Giannis has picked it up a little bit, but like at the beginning of the season, like the first first like four or five games, like Doncic and Giannis just looked totally flat out of the gate. 
And so that sure. was, I make excuse yeah. many excuses for Doncic because I love him. I think it, uh, Porzingis is back now. I think he'll hopefully his percentages yeah. will go up. They won last night, I believe, with uh, Zinger back, and which is good. I mean, we were wondering Porzingis was going to be back. They said, well, they said January, and it's almost literally the middle of January. So I guess this makes a good deal of sense. I think the Mavs are in better shape from here on out, but Doncic is just going to play himself into shape and lose those pounds as the season goes on, which. I sincerely hope he comes to in, comes into next season ripped, but I cannot say that that's what I'm envisioning is going to happen. That might be that might be the kind of thing similar to how it was for Shaq that stops him from really achieving another level. We've we've kind of strayed away from the subject of the James Harden trade. We're about forty five minutes in, maybe a little less. But do you want to switch to talking about baseball? Yeah. All right. So Sam, do you have the baseball trades in front of you as well? Yes. All right, well, let's start with the two Padres. All right, first, the first one that happened was Blake Snell, right? Yes, Blake Snell okay. and then so, Darvish. Yeah, later. so San Diego in the Blake Snell trade got just Blake Snell. They gave up catcher Francisco Mejia, who's been previously has been on prospect, top prospect lists, yeah. both with the Indians and the Very Padres. Highly yes, Luis Patino, um, who is number 10 overall um, prospect in baseball right now. Yeah. Blake Hunt, who is a catcher. I think people are saying that he's like, what, some of the best stuff in in all of the minors, right? Yeah. And he did make his debut last year. Yeah. I believe. So amazing, but like, I mean, there's a lot to like coffee for him. Yeah. They also received Tampa Bay also received Blake Hunt, catcher number their Tampa Bay's number ten prospect and Cole Wilcox, uh pitcher. So I think Tampa Bay got they got an okay. Hall, would you say? Patino, I mean, that's a terrific haul. I feel like, yeah, yeah, but I feel like Gore could have been could have been had for the right price. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was kind of like in a hurry. Well, here's the thing: not a lot of teams are really uh, trying to go all in right now. We're going to talk about the White Sox as well later in in the Mets too. But I mean, it's kind of weird that we're saying that the Padres and the White Sox and the Mets are the teams that are going all all in right now, but it's kind of mostly them. And so the the thing that is the most like just egregious is the fact that the Rays, who were in the World Series last year, uh, are totally willing to part with their best pitcher on the roster, and especially the guy, after what they did to him in in Game Six. The guy who yeah, the guy who's come up through their system, um, been really terrific for them. Been there. Won the Cy Young. Yeah, won the Cy Young. Been the Rays for several years. According to some stuff, like I think his stuff is up there with Jacob Degrom's for the best in baseball, like the best in baseball. Maybe you put Garrett Cole in there. Maybe you don't, but I would say Blake Snell and Jacob DeGrom stuff are just nastier. Snell is my nastiest. Glassnow's up there. I mean, of guys who like also can control it. Glassnow has like, you know, those Homer issues. Yeah. And walk issues. But Snell has been just really terrific. Like that's the kind of guy who should be the front of your rotation for a long time. And yeah, he loses it sometimes. And that's why he gets taken out early or relatively early at the very least. But uh, trading Blake Snell, you also lost Charlie Morton earlier on the season. You're sort of having to remake your entire rotation. I mean, you can't, it's the Rays, so maybe they're like, yeah, we can keep losing pitchers and still get better. I mean, nothing's stopping us from doing that. But it kind of hurts. Like, you feel like for a team like the Rays, getting to the World Series is the kind of thing that maybe makes you more willing to actually spend all the money that you haven't been spending over the last uh, history of your franchise. But nope, they're not going to do that. 
they're going to actually spend less now because they, I think it was like a $15 million option that was on Charlie Snell that they de- declined. Charlie Morton, not Charlie Snell. Uh, just mixing the two up and Blake Snell obviously was like, um, was, wasn't necessarily cheap. So I can't believe these Rays right now. They, they escaped better than the Cubs did, I think. But I think the decision to trade Blake Snell was a worse decision than the, than the decision to trade you Darvish. Well, tell me about the, um, what do you think? So first tell me like, what the Darvish trade wrote was and what we think about it was for the Cubs. And then let's get on to what we think the Padres are going to look like in the coming season. So Padres got Darvish his pers- and his personal catcher, Vic- Victor Caratini, yeah. and some cash uh, in exchange for Zach Davies, Owen Casey, who is the number 75 overall draft prospect, yeah. uh, Ismael Mena, Reginald Preciado, and Yason Santana. Bunch of really like no, not like the Cubs really didn't get much back there. I mean, those were all guys who I think were like one million dollar bonus babies or thereabouts. So I mean, it's not like they aren't like quite possibly going to be good uh, players in the future, as far as projections go. But yeah, exactly, they're not anywhere close to the majors. Is I think the main point. I, I think it was just incredible that Blake's that the Padres could acquire Blake Snell and you Darvish without having to give up Mackenzie Gore. Yeah, Mackenzie Gore is also going to be a part of that rotation relatively soon, right? If not this season, then I mean, at I least would say season. next year is probably. Yeah. Yeah. The fact that like that, that team is going to be that good and does not have to rush along the guy who many have been saying is one of the best pitching prospects in baseball. Uh, they don't really have to do anything with him at all because their rotation is stacked. I mean, it, it depends on Denelson Lemess, how healthy he is. And so I guess if he's not healthy, how maybe sustainable his 2020 was. What? And how sustainable his 2020 was. Yeah. I mean, people like we were saying, hey, this could be a good year for uh, for Lament. Mike Petrelio, I remember, said uh, this could be a good year for Denelson Lament. And I don't know if he was expecting to be that good. But yeah, so he's hurt. Clevenger is obviously hurt, but will be coming back in 2022. And so Lament, at the very least, you have to imagine, will be back by 2022. But for the foreseeable future, the San Diego Padres look like the most sustainable team in baseball. Yeah, um, I haven't looked at it recently. I know that they have the their number one prospect is phenomenal. Yeah. But after that, how does do you have any knowledge of how deep they are? Because I know we well, say it over and over again that the Padres still have like the best farm system uh, in the big leagues. Is that still the case? Well, like the Rays, they have had like a combination of depth and star power for a long time. And so, yeah, yes, there are a lot of people who've graduated like Tatis Jr., for instance, and uh, like the people who got traded like Mejia getting traded as well. But at the same time, um, the I would I think there's still going to be a top ten farm system after. I don't think they're going to be like the one A and one B like they and Tampa Bay were were for a couple years there. And I think Tampa Bay is clearly the number one farm team in baseball farms as the number one farm system in baseball right now. But that doesn't make them a bad farm system like the Astros ended up being after like a few years after of competition. I think that or the Red Sox. Yeah, I think, I think that let's say the Padres kind of strike out again this year and then maybe they promote Mackenzie Gore maybe they promote like maybe they sell more of like the depth that they have from like first round picks over the last few years if that happens that like it could be in a few years that we're looking at the Padres and like oh man remember when they had the best farm system in baseball but right now they're still high enough in there that um they're going to be able to like make trades from positions of depth they're going to be able to promote like a few choice prospects and um feel pretty good about the ones that they're bringing up so i can't say that i have like a 
an in-depth knowledge of the Padres farm system. This is just like based on what I remember of like their prospects over the last uh, couple years and what I've seen from prospect rankings in different places. But I would say that they're not like in bad shape by any means. They're just not in like amazing shape as they have been in the past. So if you had to rank one through three, um, the teams in these two deals, um, who did the best, what, what would your ranking be? Padres, number one by a lot. Cubs, number three by a large amount. And Rays, I mean, screw you guys. You're you're closer to the Cubs than you are to the Padres, I guess. But like Padres get an A plus um, just because these are the right kind of moves to be making and they're kind of moves that could help you win a championship. The Rays get like um, a C plus. And I, would a C-. C-. What? I would say the Cubs get a D and the Rays get a C minus. Because yeah. the, the Rays move is one that is really like, it's very much the kind of move that discourages you from winning a championship. Yeah, and this is going to be a weird take, I admit. But thinking about Moneyball, thinking about like Theo Epstein, for, um, he just got hired today by the MLB like Office of Operations to start to be like the guy who kind of thinks about like, well, what should, what should we do in baseball in the coming season? Theo Epstein, the guy who, instead of Billy Bean, was hired to lead the Red Sox and run that sort of analytics revolution with the Red Sox and win two championships and then came to the Cubs, ran, ran a similar kind of thing and won a championship. And Theo Epstein, I think, is Billy Bean, too. But Billy Bean hasn't won any titles. Theo Epstein has actually, you know, made good on the promise of, like, this young, uh, I think, Yale kid. Either Yale or Harvard, but one of those Ivy Leagues who came and brought analytics to a team. And so he said, upon his hire from from MLB, I think, uh, earlier this morning, that he was responsible for a lot of the stuff in baseball over, like, the last several years of the changes that teams have made that make the game less fun to watch. And I don't know if you agree with me on that. I think that it has become a little less fun to a degree and just because so many teams are relying on homers and home runs, as cool as they are for like the 10 seconds while they happen, aren't really that exciting for the rest of the time. And so a lot of other stuff is like, you know, teams maybe uh, tanking before they compete, which again was another Theo Epstein kind of, or holding down guys like Chris Bryant for service time, which was another Theo Epstein engineered kind of move. And it's not like he was the only guy to do them, but he pioneered a lot of them. The Cubs were the first team to tank. They were the first team to, um, not maybe not the first team ever to tank, but the first team to tank like they did. And they, the, their holding down of Chris Bryant was also really similar. And like, yeah, Jeff Luno was also responsible for kind of stuff, but now he's remembered in a different light. But this is all a lot of prelude to the fact that the, the thing that teams have been looking for ever since Billy Bean is the kind of thing that's like underrated. It's um, what's the word for this? Um, the no, what's the like the word that like nobody else is doing this, but we're doing it. Innovating. It's not innovating. It's like um, it's a word like it's more like um, market inefficient. Yeah. What what these guys have been doing is basically trying to find market inefficiencies. And right now, do you want me to read something to you? So let's look at the year twenty nineteen. Uh, just so. Boston Red Sox, New York Yankees, Chicago Cubs, Los Angeles Dodgers, San Francisco Giants, St. Louis Cardinals, Washington Nationals, Houston Astros. What do you think those are? Uh, 2019. The 2019, the top payroll. Yeah. And number two payroll, the New York Yankees, who won 63% of the games. Number four payroll, Los Angeles Dodgers, who won 65% of the games. The Cardinals were the NLCS participant against the number seven Washington Nationals. Played the number eight Houston Astros. All these teams besides the Giants finished above 500. The Cubs and the Red Sox 
weren't like nearly quite as good, but I mean, that's because their team is a little older. The Red Sox were the top payroll of the year before and won the World Series. And the Giants are just like kind of a mess of salaries, but they won three World Series that they paid for a lot, um, also including farm and stuff, like at the beginning of the last decade. And the, like seeing like Steve Cohen, I don't know, pay top dollar so that he could uh, get Francisco Lindor and I assume sign him to a long-term deal, which is what we're pretty sure they want. The Padres who are willing to take on uh, Darvish's contract and Blake Snell and the White Sox are willing to sign Liam, he- Liam Hendricks to kind of a unique deal that we'll touch on later. That's the kind of market inefficiency now. The market inefficiency, as d- almost dumb as it sounds, is spending a ton of money, is not really worrying about the luxury tax. The New York Yankees, the Los Angeles Dodgers, the Houston Astros in the last several years, those are teams that also have been spending tons of money on their analytics staff. These like That's how you win in baseball right now. The, the way you win is by spending a lot of money. It's not just spending on the big guys. It's spending to ensure that your core around the, your best players is actually really good because a lot of teams are now kind of willing to be like, okay, we'll sign a few guys or trade for them who are really good and then like build from our farm system up. Not everyone's got a good farm system. You have a team like, I don't know, the Kansas City Royals right now are kind of a weird shape right now you've got they have they have the number two pick of the 2011 draft i don't i don't see a problem with that there's just a lot of teams uh, the royals on the first team that jumped to mind but there are a lot of teams who like are near the bottom of the payroll i mean okay but royals also won a world series yeah the Royals won a world series by doing something which was almost like a market inefficiency because everyone else thought that it was it was a dumb thing to do because they just bought they just bought as much speed as they could and babbitt their way to winning and the world series they ran and and workhorse their way to a world series was shields on the team in 2015 i don't even remember i think he was or something something like that but like Cueto was on the team right who was on that team why am i forgetting was their bullpen the bullpen was like the thing that was it was a greg holland Joaquin soria yeah but then the rockies tried the same thing and it didn't work because they're oh. the rockies and they play in colorado yeah but i mean and like they also decided to pay ian desmond the rockies are 11th in payroll right now i mean not or they were in 2019 i don't know where if they you are want a hot take here's a hot take i don't think the rockies will ever win a world series when they're if they call coors field their home yeah probably right about that there's yeah. no, there's like no, you saw what it had to happen for the Rockies to actually get to a World Series. Yeah. They had to like literally win 21 out of 22 games to actually get to a World Series. Yeah. And like they still didn't have any pitchers. None of their pitchers that they had were good in 2007. But also like if you're, we're looking at the payrolls right now, the top five payrolls for this year are the Dodgers, who I think are probably the World Series favorites. The Yankees, who are probably the the uh, favorites. In the AL, AL yeah. yeah, the Mets, who are probably the division favorites. The Angels who have the best player in baseball and have to pay to keep him. And the San Diego Padres have the fifth highest payroll in baseball, which has hell frozen over. I don't really know. It's quite possible. But yeah, the Padres have the fifth highest payroll in baseball. And I think they might be the second best team in baseball by the way a lot of people figure. So here's yeah. what happened. like the, the Padres tanked, got so much draft capital that they could actually trade some of the draft capital. No, so that they could trade some of the draft capital away for big stars while still retaining some of the draft capital. But also they had James Shields who they traded for Fernando Tatis Jr. They signed Manny Machado to a massive deal. The Jake Cronenworth deal, who was another guy in their infield, they got him by basically like trading a bunch of like random prospects, like a weird deal that they did with the Rays. So it's not like a bunch of top guys. Uh, Eric Hosmer yeah. wrote a good season last year. They signed him as a free agent. I was actually on the, the World Series winning Royals. 
their pitchers that they have. Yeah, they got Snell and Darvish by like sending a bunch of uh, prospects their way, but the prospects that they got to trade for Darvish, none of those were through tanking. Those were through the international uh, market. And so the Padres team, which you see right now, who else is there? Clevenger, I think they traded for, but like he was like kind of pennies on the dollar. Denelson Lamette, they didn't draft. Myers, they didn't draft. Myers was Royals and yeah. then Rays. And, and then so, like, you look at the Padres and you're like, oh, yeah, that's a team that really built through the farm. No, they use their farm in some ways, but in a lot of ways, they made the right trades. They spent money when they needed to. And now they are where they are. And they also had Brad Hand. And that was another Mejia thing where they not only they trade did they trade. Mejia, and then yeah. that's who they were able to flip. Yeah. And Luis Patino, he was also not a guy that they drafted. So like this is like. This is more farm system developing. And, oh, you know what is actually super important? Paying a bunch of money to develop your farm system and paying, like, a bunch of money to sign guys who, like, maybe you'll be able to trade in the future or, like, keeping, like... Pirates. Pirates, take note. Yeah. Pirates, I mean, they've been trying to do this. The trade mm. for uh, Chris Archer was among the dumber ones that I have seen in recent memory. And obviously, they had the Garrett Cole trade. I don't even blame them for the Garrett Cole trade. I think that they kind of... The issue that they had with Garrett Cole is they should have kept him, not that they should have gotten him for a larger amount. They just didn't know how to fix him was the issue. And I think the bridges had mostly been burned there. But that's what I'm that's what I'm kind of talking about here. Now the teams that are spending money are the teams that are most likely to win, but no one is willing to spend the money. And like I was looking at something that Steve Cohen said the other day, which is basically like, oh, you know what? We actually do have to care about the luxury tax now. Which, no, Steve Cohen, you are the richest owner in baseball. I believe like twice as rich as any other owner in baseball. No one cares I about think, the luxury. I think if you combine the net worth of the top uh, of numbers two through four of the owners in the MLB, I don't think it's as much as what Steve Cohen is worth. Yeah, which is crazy. But like, yeah, so Steve Cohen, there's no reason not to sign George Springer and Trevor Bauer right now and try to win a World Series. I mean, if no one else is willing to spend money, then if everyone is because no one is willing to spend money because either because they want to be like efficient and use their prospects or because there's a little bit of collusion going on. I think it's a little bit of both. And also teams are like, yeah, pandemic, whatever. We don't want to do that. But you can't say that when this has been going on for a long time, this refusal to spend money. The point of a market inefficiency is when most teams are doing one thing, the team that zags while everyone else zigs, if, they, if what they're doing is smart, then they're going to win more games than the other teams because the other teams are all like sort of falling in line to do the same thing. Right, I can, no. think of two, I can think of two examples yeah. that are polar opposites that are exceptions to your rule. Tell me. Yankees are one, but the, the catch with the Yankees is it's not like they noticed that everybody wasn't paying. It's just that they've always been paying the a lot of money. The thing about the Yankees, though, like imagine if the Yankees had been healthy, like entirely healthy during this no, time. No, like, I'm tired of giving the Yankees excuses. They no. bought, they signed injury players who had injuries. Yeah, Stanton, like I'm mean, Judge, Sanchez. The other I, yeah. is the the other team is the Phillies, who actually have been tr- like are the, a great exception to your rule because they paid a lot of money for, for players and for Bryce Harper. They paid for Arietta, right? Arietta, I mean, like that's also kind of a dumb. They traded um, Sixto away. Yeah. Um, they got Wheeler Muto, who they yeah. really should resign. I can't believe they haven't because they just. Uh, by the way, they, this just happened. They just the Phillies just signed Arch- Archie Bradley. But like no, but Sam, if the Phillies were following what I was saying that they should do, then they would resign Real Muto in a heartbeat. But that's the thing. Like, 
sure you can like acquire all of this talent but it, it's like literally all in hitting and you, might, you also might be the angels you might be the angels and like uh have angels, pitchers. there's another angels are another team that's like very much like the yankees they had almost no choice they didn't want to look like a horrible franchise that being said they still could have chosen to pay different pitchers rather than going with what they've done all of their existence the angels are unfortunately like the perfect like the epitome of the, the stars and the scrubs approach where they have like a few really terrific players they're also like kind of hampered by the Aber pools deal like imagine if you can just sign like two mid-level starters for like the same I still don't think that you should like feel bad about the pools deal deal i mean i think those exceptions almost prove the rule in the sense that like the angels i mean yeah the angels issues are like they're paying mike trout a ton of money and anthony rendon a ton of money but um they haven't cared at all at investing in pitching. The Phillies, like the Phillies actually would have been a lot better, I think, this season, uh, I, except for the fact that Harper underperformed a little bit. He had, I believe, the highest ex-WOBA in baseball, and his WOBA just didn't quite match up. He had one of the biggest differences between them, and I think Harper's an MVP candidate next year. But also their bullpen was just absolute trash. Their bullpen was just a dumpster fire inside of another dumpster fire. I don't know, like, that's the kind of thing that, we talk about how you can tank by getting yourself a really bad bullpen and get make yourself a contender almost overnight just by getting the right guys in that bullpen. Now, it's not easy to do, but nevertheless, it's important. To do. And so if the Phillies had like a league average bullpen last year, I think they're absolutely a playoff team. And so what do you think, what do you think about this rule when it, when it comes to teams like the Blue Jays of 2014 and, be, and the, their run? Yeah, and the Indians when they had all of their pieces because like i'm pretty sure uh, a good deal of those players that they had obviously the blue jays like went after big free agents yeah. um they and they paid them well yeah. uh i'm trying to think of any of those blue jays any were any of them grown? yeah well no but were any of them homegrown um they traded for those guys with like brett lowry who is homegrown and they traded him for josh johnson for yes batista um was it them who discovered him or was it the pirates what, no, the 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 blue the Blue Jays discovered him. Okay, Blue Jays discovered him. He was on the Pirates beforehand. And Carnacion, I don't know if they traded for him or signed him. They did. He, they got him from the Reds. Okay, yeah. So yeah, the homegrown thing is important. That's why the Astros were so competitive. But at the same time, then when the Astros were like, okay, now we got to pay to retain all these players, you're like, um, buy George Springer, buy probably Carlos Correa in a couple years. Yeah, we signed Jose Altuve to a big deal, but uh, and Alex Bregman to a smaller one. But uh, we can't pay anybody else, and now we have to rely on these really, like, really, really young pitchers. And while it's true that the Astros have been absurdly successful by any measurement in getting to and winning a World Series, losing two um, in the ALCS, including one where they went seven games, and and, um, losing another World Series in seven games, cheating, obviously— maybe ignored for a little bit that was the only that team was totally optimized from top to bottom they oh they knew exactly what they were going to do they knew exactly what the plan was jeff luno came in ready to fix it from the get-go and then a lot of their prospects were even better than they had anticipated in a lot of ways and so the astros thing only works if you're like the first in the industry to do it the astros were the first in the industry to do the kind of thing where they drafted carlos correa um, Lance Pellers Jr. and Rio Ruiz. Like the way that they were able to structure that and the way that they were able to like install their own guys from the top down in all places in the minor leagues 
several people who were former Astros, people are either GMs now or assistant to GMs or maybe even president of baseball operations. I believe David Stearns or is suspended. What? Or suspended. Or suspended, yeah. But a lot of them, like, even if they hadn't done um, the thing that they did, even if they hadn't, like, stole the signs, that is still a team that would be incredibly impressive, but also, like, incredibly harmful in some ways to baseball as much as it was innovative. It's harmful in the ways that, like, they devalued players. That was written in from the beginning when you had, um, I think it was at the Bud Norris or Lucas Harrell or basically some uh, nameless quotes in an Evan Drellich articles talking about how much, how little they felt valued as human beings and how much they just felt like little pawns in a team that was trying to uh, tank its way to victory. And then... Um, but Norris reminds me of the whatever. scandal where, where the Cardinals and Astros um, mixed up their... Not mixed up their passwords, but who was, who was on the cheating end of that? That was the Cardinals who cheated. In, yeah. They used a, an old password. Yeah. And then Chris Correa went to jail. But the kind of innovation that's happened in baseball over the last several years has made everyone kind of go in the same direction. It's hired the young Wall Street guy, the guy who went to an Ivy League school, the guy, the guy, the guy you'll notice I say when Kim Ming, I believe, was the most recent general manager hired. Did the Mets hire a general manager yet? Uh, I don't know. I don't think so. Yeah, so Kim Ming, I guess, is the most recent uh, general manager hired. But there's always going to be a new direction when everyone is doing the same thing. And right now, spending money actually trying to win baseball games is the best way to win you a title. We know that in the past, uh, spending money usually like lines up with the people who win the most titles. But it seems like most teams are forgetting that. And now, when you really don't even have to spend that much, since no one else is willing to spend, and you have a lot less competition for the best free agents, because we have like the most dead period in the last several years that we've had since, I don't know, when the collusion in the 80s, right? Man, I think I remember hearing that like only like three uh, contracts were like actually like offered up for free agents compared to like 100 the year prior. Yeah. And I think we saw this a couple years ago, but it was like a couple of players were reporting that there were, I think several players, that teams, what they would do is um, no one would like give any offers at all. And then suddenly all on the same day, maybe within a few hours of each other or something like that, they all got almost the exact same offer from all, all these teams. And it was almost like all these teams had the same optimizations where they were like, okay, here's the best way that we can get this player for the cheapest amount of money, which is great. If... It isn't for the fact that everybody else is doing When you're all doing the exact same same thing, tr- try to get a player, the, the player can sometimes realize that. It it shows that there's a serious group thing going on in MLB right now. And people like the Padres. The Padres are... AJ Preller is a little different because he's a scouting guy through and through. That's like been was his bread and butter before he got hired. And yeah, he loves to make trades, maybe as much as Jerry Depoto does, but I think AJ Preller's a better general manager. And yeah, you got to get lucky in having like the James Shields trade be for like... Francisco Tatis Jr. as opposed to just some random shortstop prospect uh, like that who really remembers. Addison like, Russell. That's exactly what I was thinking. I was thinking of the Jeff, Jeff Samarja Addison Russell trade. Which I feel like that worked. No, no, no. Cubs traded him away. No, Cubs traded Samarja and won the World Series with Russell. Yeah. And then Russell turned out to be a kind of garbage. A really bad game. human being. Yeah. yeah. And now he's playing in Japan. Huh. Interesting. But yeah, so like that's the kind of thing where you got to get a little lucky. But scouting Tatis Jr. And you also got to pay. Manny Machado. You also got to pay up the price, including a top 10 prospect in baseball to get Blake Snell. And so like 
if you're not willing to go all in, if you're not willing to make the right moves, not willing to pay the big free agent, if you're not willing to pay the free agents and make the trades and invest in your farms and invest in uh, the international market and just like develop guys really well and and like make the little trades too, as far as well as the big ones, you're not going to really be set up to win. Even if you're like, oh, but we're saving so much money here by doing this. We're doing the taking Astros kind of deal. Yeah. I mean, like, we'll see what happens to Detroit in Baltimore in five years, but do you want to be? I think a I think Baltimore I think Baltimore's fan? future is brighter than Detroit's. Yeah, you could say that. Detroit is. Um, who's getting? Uh, what's his name this year? Uh, Tor- No, Torkelson is last year. Uh, Kumar. Kumar's yeah, going to the Pirates, Kumar? right? Is I think Kumar's Torkelson? going to the Pirates, right? Oh, the Pirates, right? The Pirates are getting Kumar Rocker, which God help us. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. But God help Kumar Rocker. I said, but. There's my little diatribe about um based about uh market inefficiencies in baseball right now because it has to be an inefficiency. If it's an efficiency, then you're just like you're doing nothing. You're you're nothing compared to the team that's like on the other side of the uh, continent as you. But the Dodgers are paying more money than anybody to do stuff. The Padres care, the White Sox care, and the Mets care. Let's talk about the Mets, who it seems at least do care at least to some degree. Let's talk about the Mets's move. That they just pulled off for Francisco Lindor. So they got from the Indians, they got, sorry, not the Indians, from the Cleveland baseball team, they got Francisco Lindor Carlos Car- and Carlos Carrasco. And Cleveland got Andres Jimenez, Ahmed Rosario, and the number nine and number 10 prospects uh, in the organization, Josh Wolf and Isaiah Green. Which I mean is the kind of trade that a team makes. It almost reminds me of the Garrett Cole trade a little bit. But the kind of trade that a no, team... I don't think Jimenez and Rosario are going to turn into Glasnow and uh, Meadows. The Garrett Cole trade? Okay, I think, wow. Just horrible. Are you thinking horrible of the Chris Archer trade? Yeah, for some reason, I'm thinking <laughs> the Chris Archer trade. Yeah, that's this seems to be more of a, one that lines up with like the Colin Moran and Joe Musgrove sort of deal. Yeah. Which, I mean, like, listen, I loved Joe Musgrove when he was in the minors. He's the kind of guy, though, that, like... As much like he might have might have a season where he walks nine guys in the entire minor league season, but his stuff doesn't quite translate to the big leagues, and that's why he was in the minors for so long. He was, I think, he was originally traded to the Astros from the Blue Jays in the JA Hap trade. You even remember that? Uh, I remember the JA Hap trade. Or was it the JA Hap trade? Or was that something else? It was a long time ago. If you tell me the two teams, I can probably tell you who it was. I think it was a JA Hap trade. I think it was. A, I could be wrong, but it was. I know it was Astros Blue Jays. But anyway, back to this trade. Yeah, the Mets got Francisco Lindor, who wasn't amazing last season. He was not as good as we expected him to be, but, like, from everything we've seen, Frankie Lindor loves being, like, in New York. I saw this, like, thing of him um, talking to, like, some New York kid who has been his biggest fan and, like, has his uh, Team Puerto Rico jersey. Um, Mets fans everywhere are just, like, freaking out about the guy. He seems like the nicest guy in the world, the most fun guy to have on your team. And, like, if Pete Alonso has a resurgence this year, if Lindor is good, if they get at least one of the Springer-Bauer combination to add to their team, this is going to be a fun season to be a New York baseball fan. Mm, I think this is a step in the right directions for for the Mets, but they first have to shed the label of the Mets. Yes. I I think... Of long Mets. Yeah. I I seem to... Doesn't Syndergaard... Isn't he injured? Syndergaard, I don't believe, is going to pitch this year, yeah. Yeah, okay. So, like, you really need Bauer then, right? Yeah, you got to fill that rotation. I mean, DeGrom is amazing, obviously. I mean, Carrasco is... is I think Carrasco is the... Un, that's why Carrasco is the underrated part of this deal. Yeah. Just he's actually, like... At worst. Yeah, I was about to say, I would classify him more as a 
game two guy almost he can be at his best absolutely like i think they they give him he gives them a good chance in any game two really i mean the nl does have some is gonna have some tough lineups in the playoffs with the dodgers the padres just like throwing guys at you but They're, they they don't have the best lineup in their own division the the braves are yeah have a better braves lineup. the phillies Phillies, if they keep yeah, if they keep real, maybe it's Nationals. Nationals, yeah, because Juan Soto, like Bryce Harper, is uh, just an absolutely outstanding player. Marlins and their longest tenured uh, player, Brian Anderson. Oh my goodness, the Marlins! Are- <laughs> the Marlins are going to be something this year. I don't know what that something is going to be. Nevertheless, will be interesting. I mean, Nats. I don't believe uh, have the have everything to go to like pull together a full season where they make the playoffs, unless we're doing like the sixteen team thing again, which like. Have we heard anything from MLB about like what next season is going to look like? No. The only thing we've heard is that Manfred said the season will start on time. That's good. I, I hope but we're going to have a the same time. I seem to remember that last time he said like there will be a season and then two weeks later saying we're not sure if there's going to be a season. Yeah. So Rob Manfred, like whatever he's saying, take it with a grain of salt, a large grain of salt. Um, but this is a terrific trade for the Mets. This is another example of, we were just talking about it, but the Cleveland Indians who had Frankie Lindor and uh, Jose Ramirez plus a terrific rotation of guys decide, oh, you know what? We don't need Corey Kluber anymore. You know what? Corey Kluber got hurt. But they also got rid of Trevor Bauer, who, yeah, he was like throwing a hissy fit the last time he was on the mound for them, but also then decided to use Pine Tar. And now he's great, right? Uh, I feel like... Big week for Pine Tar. Eh, that's just... (laughs) That that headline just like was there for one day and then it was gone. Yeah, because everyone's like, "Oh yeah," but like your favorite pitcher uses pine tar. My favorite pitcher pitcher uses pine tar. Everyone's using pine tar. Dylan Did you Bundy. See, you see what the leaked message was? What was it? Like text message from like Garrett it was Cole, like right. Yeah, it was the most like it. I I'm I'm pretty sure it wasn't doctored, but it looked like it seemed like so doctored and like one of those fake was, texts. Yeah, like it honestly like seemed like. Like, hey man, was wondering if you could get me some of that sticky stuff, winky face. <laughs> it's like they don't have to code it. You don't have to be like, um, "Hey, can you drop some of that?" No, it, yeah. it, it turns out he did have to code it. Yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, but that's what they were assuming. No one was under the assumption, like, "Oh yeah, MLB cares about um the sticky stuff." And then it turns out that yeah, it turns out they really don't because this was not more a headline for more more than a day. Yeah, you know, a couple years back, I think this is a little interesting. Maybe we'll see a little more of this. Maybe not. Like so, in the NBA, I think uh, last season, near right at the beginning of the season, um, DeAndre Jordan about the, gets suspended. Yeah, I was about to say, are we going to talk about the Dwight Howard DeAndre Jordan Stickum thing? Really, that's not where you're going. I don't even know what you're talking about. But remember, DeAndre Aiden got suspended like 25 games for PD. Yeah, and then John John Collins did too. Yeah, John Collins too. And I was like, oh, MLB suspending. Kind of interestingly enough, two young players, like two second year players who are supposed to be stars and like. The, the near future is is this something they're going to care more about now trying to like start young with like PED testing and all that kind of stuff and no it does not seem to be something that they really or maybe people are just doing better at masking it now who knows but the reason that this guy is even leaking stuff in the first place which like sorry Francisco Lindor I guess we're talking about this now is he's a very Evan Drellich guy he's like oh I left this organization because they fired me time to time to flip the book on him yeah but they fired him specifically because MLB was like you know I think it's time that we crack down on people doing a uh, pine tar and then by sh- showing this message in court to i don't know if it was to mlb or to the angels or to whomever but it was like oh yeah garrett cole the guy who's been the the front of a bunch of your promos who pitches for the new york yankees 
was asking me for this. Justin Verlander is asking me for this. Max Scherzer is asking me for this. Felix Hernandez, who you guys loved when he was like this one guy doing everything for the Mariners, is asking me for this. Dylan Bundy, who had a great year this past year, is doing it. Everybody's doing it. Everyone who goes through the clubhouse gets to use this kind of stuff. And so don't make me the fall guy. Is, is That was the kind of energy that was emanating from him. Yeah. So do you I think mean, that we see a crackdown in that kind of stuff? Or do you think that like just it's by either going to be a crackdown or a softening? Yeah, I, think I don't think they're ever. Here's the thing. I don't think MLB is ever going to going to outright say um, pine tar is legal yeah. because that then you can actually have the guys that like use it to get better movement. Yeah. Uh, instead, I think the ha- I think the happy medium is somewhere where like you can use it 100 percent. Um, and because the hitters, I would assume, and I'm almost sure would like pitchers to have more control. Yeah. So I, I, they're, I don't think they're going to outright ban it or outright allow it. It's going to be interesting to see if they try to find a middle ground or if they just ignore it. Yeah. One interesting thing that, uh, was mentioned in the article that I read that MLB, the reason they started caring about this is because teams after seeing the success of like this guy and other pine tar kind of mixtures like hmm it, what is like the perfect blend of pine tar and rosin and maybe some other stuff rosin rosin i think rosin rosin, rosin? okay not josh rosin it's josh it's rosin um to basically try to maximize the amount of spin rate that they can get on like a guy's fastball or curveball or slider or whatever and this lines up a little bit with the reason that the kind of like secret reason why peds are illegal in sports i mean Sure, we would love to see what athletes could do, like with a certain amount of performance enhancing. And yeah, they've got like their own performance enhancing and stuff. But when you bring it to this kind of level, then instead of just being this kind of thing that like people use to recover and to get back to the game, if you make that kind of thing legal, when pine tar and rosin, that kind of mixture is effectively legal right now, then you make it impossible for people who don't want to join in that kind of thing to keep up. And you make it more about what the best kind of steroid is like the best kind of performance enhancer is than like actual, you know, participation in the game kind of stuff. And you almost make it not really important to like, I don't know who the best player is or something. You make the most important thing ends up being um, what the person has as an add on to help them improve in. And so that's why I think MLB decided to crack down. But yeah. So yeah. <laughs> you ever watch the wire? Uh, No, there's this line where it, this I think follows in real life probably, but uh, if you follow the drugs, you uh, make drug bust, but if you follow the money, you don't know where you'll go. In this case, it's like, if you follow the pine tar, you don't know where you'll go because everybody is doing it. Huh. Like, when MLB wanted to crack down on this, right, they're probably thinking, oh, it's just like some guys in front offices, maybe like it was with the Astros, you know, with the stealing signs and stuff like that, right? No, I'm 100% sure that MLB knows the extent of the pine tar city uh, okay. stuff. 100%. But maybe they didn't... Because a lay person like like me can like yeah. a baseball watcher like me can literally watch a game and see every single time that a person that a pitcher uh, like rubs his hand on something. But you're um, paying a little more attention than most because you know what that's like as a pitcher. Yeah, but it's very blatant. Okay, I'll take your word for it. Like I see them like, like rubbing the same, same spot every time. Like it, yeah. it's very easy to tell. Not everyone is like Michael Pineda, where they have like a glaringly like obvious spot of things, something just like shining off of them or glistening. Once again, I still feel, I still think uh, John Farrell kind of looks like a piece of crap in that. I mean, it worked though, so yeah. 
But anyway, yeah, so everyone's doing it. And like MLB does not want people like the public to know, I guess, like that everybody is doing it, including like the people who are the best in baseball. But you know what? You got to hand it to Trevor Bauer, who is very clearly proven right and also is definitely using pine tar right now that um, that, yeah, absolutely. This is like uh, the kind of thing that improves your spin rate consistently. The only thing that does it is, I think, what he said. And now it looks like Trevor Bauer is going to do it like unpunished for the rest of his career. So, I mean, like sign him now because he's going to be this good. Back to Frankie Lindor, what do you think about, like, what do you think this means for the Indians? Are we going to see, a com- like, Jose Ramirez get traded, too? Like, what um, the hell is their roster right now? Their roster isn't good, I can tell you that much. I I think they're a year uh, behind the Cubs right now. They were in the playoffs this past year, right? So, like, uh, yeah, were. but... Mm. In a weak division, it should be said. They have, yeah, in a weak division and with... Bieber and Ramirez being their only two good players. Exactly. So like a little bit of Angel syndrome right there. Obviously Shane Bieber is amazing and Jose Ramirez like is a perennial MVP candidate when he's, you know, not in the he Jose Ramirez is strangely large slumps. I think those are always a little funny. They're not strangely large because he has them all the time. Yeah. But like most people when they have slumps, it's like that's not too big. But when Jose Ramirez has his slumps, it's always like, wait, is this guy broken? Were we ever right to think that he was a good player and then he turns around like after a couple more weeks and it ends up being an MVP level guy. I don't know. Maybe yeah. just Luxon, right? Maybe uh, that's when they stop. Maybe that's after they test him the third time for steroids. Nah, he's just the guy. All right. So yeah. Uh, do you have any more thoughts on the Francisco Lindor trade? I think I've derailed you enough. Not, not really. I feel like um, Cleveland maybe could have gotten a bit more, but I think the, the, the main point was to get rid of um, impending salaries. Meaning get rid of uh, your franchise player, Frankie Lindor, who... Once again, it's literally Mookie Betts all over again. It's exactly like, Mookie Betts all over again. Even to the which, same division. Yes, but like, the, here, the thing... But like, what do you mean the same division? Padres and Dodgers are in the same division. To the same division, Lind- not from the same Lindor, division. Lindor did not go to the Padres. I'm dumb right there. I'm just thinking, I got Padres on my mind. He went to the Mets. But once again, it's the one time where maybe you can get away with trading a superstar player when for the next 10 years, you're not going to be competitive. Yeah. So what's the point of signing him long term? It's true. All right. Um, so let's talk then about the Liam Hendricks contract, which I thought was a little interesting. It's one of those where you've got like if you waive the guy, then um, he's got like almost a buyout, which extends over ten like a uh, ten years, I believe it was for one point five million. You're gonna have to tell me that because all because I know it was a weird deal. Based like the simplest way to put it is they signed with the White Sox for three years and thirty nine million with a fourth year option slash buyout. 15 million. Yeah, exactly. He's gonna get he's gonna he's get paid the fifty. Yeah, it's like a normal baseball contract in which you're guaranteed everything. He's gonna get paid that that extra fifteen million no matter what. The question is how and by whom if he gets traded or gets released. But which I mean is nice for a reliever, a reliever because relievers, you know, they do have those issues every once in a while. But yeah, so is Liam Hendricks going to the White Sox? Let's say. Probably not crazy to assume that he's going to be a top five closer in baseball next year. Assuming that, which is what I believe the White Sox are assuming, does that make them maybe the second since the Rays sort of like uh, seem to not really care that much? Does that make and we don't really know if we're going to get um, anything that much outside of Randy Rosarena if even he is like the same guy he was this past season? We don't know about the Rays. We really don't know about the Astros because they're missing Springer. The athletics, I mean, they have a tendency to, you know, succeed in the regular season. We don't really know what happens to them in the playoffs. But ignoring all of that, are the White Sox the second most likely team to win the pennant in the AL this year after the Liam Hendricks? Um, let me go team by team. 
the only I went by the, like the only teams that really are going to go up the, the Blue yeah. Jays. You might consider yeah. maybe if they get spring. No, I, I actually really wouldn't like not even sort of. Thanks for asking though. <laughs> um, Twins. Man, the, the American League is going to be so bad. I'm realizing right now. Yeah, Blue Jays. Blue Jays. The Twins. Uh, no, yeah, I would pick the White Sox over the Twins. Yeah. What a what a turn of events. Honestly, like the fact that this team is suddenly um competing in this way. And I feel pretty good about like thinking that Eloy Jimenez and Luis Robert are going to have good seasons this next year, right? Yeah. And I like Mike Madrigal. Very small, but yes. Well, that, and the rotation, I mean, Lance Lynn, if he's as good as he was last year, along with Giolito, along with, um, yeah, like I said, Dylan Sees. We'll see what happens. Yeah, Garrett Crochet. Crochet? Crochet? I don't really know. Crochet. Is Michael Kopech, like, you think he's going to play any baseball for them? Mm. I have no clue. Uh, he might be living like just in the middle of nowhere, and I wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised. Oh, and of course, Dallas Keuchel. Yeah, Dallas Keuchel and Lance Lynn. Oh, yeah. That's like an interesting combo of guys to have at the top of your, your rotation, along with Giolito. Just like very, very different than Giolito. But you know what? I kind of like it. Old crafty guys uh, doing. Keuchel's a crafty guy. I don't think Lynn is crafty. I think he throws one pitch and just throws it differently. Well, I I would consider that crafty. I mean, I don't think Dallas Keuchel throws that many pitches either. I think to be crafty as a pitcher, you have to throw less than 88 miles an hour. Lynn is kind of close to that. He's not quite there yet. He's talking about 94. Yeah, 94. 94 is the new 88. No, it's not. <laughs> average average velocity is 93 on a fastball. I don't know. When, the older the guy is, the slower his fastball seems to go, except for like Charlie Morden. Or like even for Charlie Morden, when you're like thinking of guys who have like the highest fastballs in the league, you're not... Charlie Morton does not suddenly jump out to you. It's like, oh yeah, Charlie Morton is like second or third highest. He didn't really throw ninety seven last year. He threw like ninety four, ninety five. Yeah, but like two years ago, you're not like just immediately jumping to say like, oh yeah, Charlie Morton. Um, also, know. Degrom is really just like Josh for some Hayden. reason, Degrom just decided to add two miles an hour. Yeah, I mean like Degrom's you know an amazing pitcher and probably the best pitcher in the league and has been the best pitcher in the league. Maybe I don't know if he's been the best pitcher in the league since he started, but maybe overall since he debuted he's been the best pitcher in the league just if you view everyone else's um record uh over that uh, over that time it's gonna be a fun Mets season it's gonna be a fun white Sox season it's gonna be a fun padre season um it's gonna be not quite as fun for teams not named the yankees or the dodgers outside of for all those other teams is there before we're gonna know we're gonna talk more baseball as we get closer to the season is there any one other team that you're looking at just like is this the kind of team that makes a run this year? Are they in the right place? Uh, not for the reasons that you said, but the Red Sox seem to be very, um, they seem to be ready to make some moves. Okay. You know what? Sure. I mean, this was supposed to be the Mookie Betts offseason. You know, they need, they, have, they have a hole in their Yeah, look at what their roster is. Who would have, would they have done anything with Mookie Betts with this roster? They might have, uh, I don't know, it might have been the eighth seed. They might have been better than the Rockets this past year. I don't know. They were like, what, are you guys getting the second o- or like fourth overall pick this year or something like that? Uh, no, but we're we're quickly learning that Tanner Ho- Tanner Houck is an unreal pitcher. Yeah, okay. At Bobby Dalton gets bombs. Yeah, all right. Well, we'll see what happens with the Red Sox. I think the Blue Jays, whom I mentioned, um, they're going to be like the team that everyone's like, oh, I guess they're a real contender now as long as uh, all their young guys don't just like, I don't know, is there like a third junior slump or something like that? All of them being their third year, basically. I don't know. I think they end up getting Springer. And I think Bauer ends up going to the Mets. Is my hunch based on things right now. Could be totally wrong. Springer could have signed with the Mets in like 
you could say with the Mets before this podcast even comes up, depending on what Uncle Steve does. But anyway, I think it'll be a good baseball season. I think we're going to talk more basketball next, like describe what we've seen uh, in the games that we've had so far. If that sounds like a good plan. Yeah. And yeah, we will talk to you guys next week.